This is the message given by Pastor Peter Sim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for June 4th, 2023. The title of the message is Knowing Yahweh. Well, let's uh, let's open up to the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 14. Uh, it's a fairly uh, familiar passage. Uh, Perhaps Pastor James or a visiting pastor has spoken on this in the past. I want to bring out a few other features that hopefully you haven't heard before, if you've already heard a sermon on this passage. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. This is the reading of God's holy word. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of out of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Amen. Well, as we uh, think about our passage uh, today, uh, next week, and I will be here at five, uh, next week uh, we'll take a look at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Lord, beginning of the Lord's Prayer in reference to uh, our Father. Uh, the introduction of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Uh, our Father who art in heaven. So uh, that will that that will sort of be in connection with uh, our passage today, uh, understanding a little bit further of who are we praying to. So today uh, the focus is a little bit more on who are we praying to, and then next week uh, we're praying to our Father and uh, getting to understand uh, that introduction, uh, that that uh, first part of the Lord's prayer. 
Uh, and so as we try and understand a little bit further who we're praying to, uh, there's a couple of quotes that I'd like to give to you, uh, men that you probably have known. Uh, J.I. Packer, uh, in his book, Knowing God, uh, in reference to God, says, Men who know their God are before anything else men who pray. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, when defining prayer, called it a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. And then Calvin in the Institutes writes, They do not therefore apprehend God as he offers himself, but imagine him as they have fashioned him in their own presumption. And I think that's what's helpful for us to understand is when we pray, who are we praying to? Do we understand who we're praying to? Uh, And I want us to understand within that framework uh, to unpack Exodus 3. Who are we praying to? Who is this God? And so again, let me just read Calvin's quote one more time. They do not therefore apprehend God as he offers himself, but imagine him as they have fashioned him in their own presumption. A real simple way to put this is, you don't understand God the way God has told about himself, but we tend to understand God the way we think we know who God is. Uh, and so, and, and again, we can kind of understand that even in the relationships that we have with people. Uh, do we listen to the way the person has said, this is who I am? Uh, or do we make presumptions about a person and say, well, I think this person is this, this, and that. Uh, and based off of that is how we understand who that person is. And, and no one likes to be presumed upon or, or assume that this is how I am. Don't make assumptions about me until you get to know who I am, until you get to meet me, and get, until you get to talk to me. Uh, well, in that sense, it's really not that different when it comes to God. Right? God says, this is who I am, and I want you to understand who I am. Let me tell you who I am, as opposed to assuming certain things that maybe you've heard from this person or that person. No, let me tell you, this is who I am. So, again, as we're understanding this, there's two things that I want us to really focus in on, uh, and it's worth two verses. Uh, in verse 6, when, in verse 6, uh, God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So that's one thing that uh, God reveals about himself. And then the second is in verse 14, uh, when God speaks to Moses, it's a little longer, and he says, I am who I am. Uh, This I am is the key here for the second point, uh, because it goes on to say, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so uh, we're going to understand God in terms of these two things. When God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So that's one. And then secondly, when God starts talking about uh, and says that here's my name, I am who I am. Uh, What exactly uh, does that mean? And so the first thing, again, as as we think a little bit deeper about uh, when God says that I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, here God is really, uh, sometimes you might hear this, and I I think it might be a little bit easier than that. Uh, You might hear God as a covenantal God. uh, And and I'll admit it took me years to to really kind of understand what does that mean? God is a covenantal God. Because uh, th- those aren't, that's not really a word that you hear often, maybe outside of church. Uh, you don't hear it used, I mean, you don't hear it used at school, right? And probably not at work. Um, if you're using it at home, 
That's kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not something outside of church that you might hear too often. And so uh, I think a helpful way to understand when God says that I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is to say that, uh, yes, God is a covenant God, but more, perhaps a little bit easier to understand it, uh, God is a God of relationships. Okay, God is a God of relationships. And so God is making... God is, is here, he's saying that uh, I have a personal relationship with you. I have a personal relationship with humanity, right? God is willing to associate himself, describe himself in this manner, uh, that I am the God to associate with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God to associate with your father. Right? God is, 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 in this sense, voluntarily, Right? He wants others to know him in this manner. Right? He wants the universe to know him as a God that is associated and connected with these uh, people. Now, again, think about this when, when you talk about wanting to be associated with someone. Right? If you want your name attached, if, if you want people to know you in a certain way, I mean, what are the kind of people that you want to associate yourself with? This isn't meant to be in any, any sort of, it's not political or anything of that sense. But uh, you know, if you say that I am friends with Elon Musk or I am friends with Jeff Bezos, right? there's a certain clout that comes with that. Right? There's a certain sense of, oh, wow, you know them? How do you know them? Uh, you know, mostly because of their wealth and because of some of their uh, ideas and, and the things that they've accomplished. Uh, there's the CEO of Pepsi, Indra Nui, uh, someone like her, and, and say, or, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good friends with Warren Buffett. Right? It's like, oh, really? Um, you, know, you, you hear some of these really famous names. You hear names that, uh, that m- that's supposed to kind of elevate your status a bit in the eyes of others. Right? Uh, for, th- for those of you here in, obviously, uh, Southern California, uh, living out in Long Beach now, and, and uh, there are uh, famous athletes, uh, of course. Uh, if we go for far back, uh, I'm friends with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right? I'm friends with Magic. It's like, oh, wow. Right? Uh, I don't know if LeBron carries that sort of weight, but you know, I'm friends with LeBron James. Right? Right? Associating yourself, it elevates your status. It elevates the way people see you. And so when we think about what God does here as a God of relationships, as a God who says, I want the world, I want the universe to know me as the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, are, are these people that, that you would say, wow, wow, you are friends with Abraham? Friends with Isaac? Friends with Jacob? These aren't exactly the kind of names that, that strike awe and wonder. Right? These aren't names that, that are impressive, that make you uh, sit there uh, and, and really say, wow, if only I could be friends with them. Maybe if it was Paul, right? maybe, maybe some of those names. But, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those aren't exactly names that... that uh, cause within you a sense of wonder and excitement and, and, and just uh, to be uh, to just be floored and, and say, this is impressive, right? How'd you get to know these people? And yet for God to want to be associated with these names, 
And we often find God explaining even to Israel that you weren't this impressive nation. You weren't this powerful nation. You were a small, puny, small in numbers. You weren't mighty. And yet you are my people. And God attaches himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, makes a very public, public commitment in his relationship to them. Right? In, in this sense, think about it in terms of a marriage. Right? A marriage is something, and, and this is where vows come in. And, and understand the very essence of what a vow versus a relationship you might have um, between like a young man and a young woman. That relationship, what's the difference between that and, say, living together versus saying, no, with this vow, we are wed. See, a vow makes it very public. A vow by the essence, the essence of a vow, the essence of a marriage is public. Secretive marriages aren't marriages, at, at least in our time. Thinking of like Braveheart and secret marriages. It, it, it's, you have these public, it's a very public spectacle. It's, it's something to be announced and therefore you have witnesses. You have people who observe and say, yes, I can testify to the reality of that, be, that relationship being a marriage. So when we think about this relationship that God has by having this relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what God is saying, it's a public declaration and saying, I want everyone to know this. This isn't some secret relationship that I don't want anyone to know, and we're going to have uh, the benefits of this relationship without it being known. No. It is a public declaration, a public commitment that God makes to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to people, again, who are not impressive, to people, again, who, who, who don't strike that sense of awe and wonder and, and makes you say, wow. Again, rather the opposite, right? When you think about, again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, Isaac and Jacob were, were two very... I'm, Abraham being an elderly gentleman and uh, lying and, and, and being uh, afraid. Uh, Isaac, uh, again, the same thing with, with Jacob being a thief and, and um, a, a liar. It, these aren't, again, men who, who strike that sense of wonder and amazement that, wow, God wants to relate himself to these kinds of people. No, it's actually the other way around. These are people that could even bring down God's reputation. And yet God is committed in a very public way to these uh, people, to this line of people, and he wants all of the world to know. And so it's not just a commitment where he's saying simply like, yeah, I want to attach myself to these people. But what God is also doing is he's saying, I want to attach myself to these people and I am committed to them and I will see it all the way through. Right? I'm not just saying that for this time in this, at, at this time, uh, at, at at this time, saying that I'm attached to them, but what God wants everyone to understand, I am committed to them, and I will see it all the way to the very end. And so when we think about in that sense, God is committed not just to saying, oh, uh, I want to be your God, but God is saying that I also want to be part of this transformation. I am committed to you to the very end until you are completely transformed. There is no sin that you've done that God is saying is too great to see this great transformation in you, to see you develop, to see you become this godly figure. God is interested in delivering us from our sin, not just sheltering us from it. 
And so again, God is making a very public statement. I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses, you need to understand this, and I want you to tell this to all the people. This is how I want to be known. I'm a God of relationships. Well, this commitment that God has, when we think about Moses here, and when we come to verse 1, when we look at a little bit of what's been happening, uh, in verse 1 we find uh, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. And, and literally, the language here to describe what's happening with Moses, it's a verb that, that sort of uh, was keeping the flock. kind of conveys a certain mundaneness, uh, kind of a boringness to his life, drudgery, monotony. Uh, Moses was watching and then watching and then watching and then watching and then watching the flock of his father-in-law. Right? Think about Moses. Moses is someone who, at this juncture in his life now, he's older. He's working for his father-in-law. He has no wealth, not much health. After once living in the kingdom of the Pharaoh, inside the house of the royal uh, family, right, the highest of education, uh, he possessed the best that the world had to offer. Educated, skilled, strong. He was the ideal man, right, the type of person that you would want to associate yourself with. He's the type of person that you would expect. That is a man's man. That is a leader. He's the kind of man that men will follow. He had all the makings of what you would want. And yet now, at this juncture in his life, no wealth, no power, no glory. At this stage of his life, tending sheep. I mean, add to this, back in chapter 2, Moses, he says about himself in chapter 2, verse 22, I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. His own people rejected him. The Egyptians rejected him. The Egyptians wanted to kill him. The Midianites, right? This is his father-in-law, saw him as an Egyptian, Exodus 2.19. So here, the idea, now you see a little bit more. Moses, no power, no glory, no wealth. He has no people to be at home with. He has no community. He has no family. He, he really seems like a foreigner no matter where he goes. He's not accepted. And to the point that one, uh, one author writes this uh, to describe how Moses just did not have a place to call home, uh, taking off one's sandals, Exodus 3.6, is a gesture in many traditional cultures that is associated with entering not only a worship space but also a home. Thus, here at the foot of the mountain of God, Moses the alien has at last found a true home. Moses finds his true home not with humans, but with God, the God of his ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. And so when God then reveals to him, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what he's telling Moses is that, Moses, I know what you think your life is about. 
I know you think this is what your life has become, but I am committed to you. I have this relationship with you. And you might think that your life has not amounted to much. You might think that your life isn't worth much. That you gave up everything. You might ask yourself, what kind of life is this? But what God wants Moses to understand is by being committed to him. By telling Moses, I am the God of your forefathers. There is a relationship that I have with them, and that relationship continues with you, and that relationship will continue on down the line. I am committed to you. And that's part of, again, when you think about Moses' struggle, is that when you look at Moses and he looks at his life, and I think a lot of us may even struggle with this, Rather than finding a sense of stability, a sense of significance, a sense of who we are based upon the way God has his relationship to us, our tendency is to look at our circumstances, to look at our situation, to look at all these other things, my job, my family, the the status that I have, all these other things, and that's exactly what Moses has done. And what God is reminding him is, no, 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 no. That is not the way that you are to look at yourself, but rather, how do I look at you? I look at you and understand how committed I am to you, Moses. Understand the relationship that you and I have. Understand who you can go to in prayer. Understand that I am your God, a God that is committed to you, not a God who just leaves you in in dark times. No, I am always there for you. And Moses needs to understand this is the God that he is praying to. This is the God that he has a relationship with, right? This is what we need to understand when it comes to our God. This is a God who says that I am your God. And to understand this relationship as God saying, I'm committed to you. But there's more here. And it's what God has to say when we see in verse 14, when he says that I am who I am. Now, Uh, There's a lot of different ways that people understand that phrasing. Uh, Some people prefer, I will be who I will be. Right? It's that to be verb. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Um, But as we understand that, lots of times when we kind of think about this, I am who I am, uh, it's the name... It's the name that God eventually says, this is the name Yahweh. And I, I think a lot of us know this, uh, Yahweh. And that name Yahweh, it's a, it's a very special name. And there's a lot of different things that you can kind of understand through that, and, uh, that name Yahweh. One of the things that we can understand is that the name Yahweh, it's the name to be. God is saying, I just am. I just exist. I am who I am. This is me. I am self-existent. And so when it comes to like certain doctrines about God, I'm self-existent, right? It's this uh, theological term we use sometimes called aseity of God. God has no beginning. He has no end. He doesn't depend upon anyone. He doesn't depend upon anyone to exist, right? That's not the case for us, right? All of us, we depend on things. We depend on air, right? Go five minutes without air. We, we, we need certain things. God 
does not need anything. God is, as uh, Herman Boving, uh, some of you know, Dutch theologian, says, God is independent, all-sufficient in himself, and the only source of all existence in life. Yahweh is the name that describes this essence and identity most clearly. His name is simply being. God is not created. He's not part of the creation. He's the creator and sustainer over everything in this universe. Everything over all multiverses. Doesn't matter. And, and so sometimes we use the name when it comes to Yahweh as God is transcendent. God is transcendent. And yet at the same time, when God says, I am to be, he's saying something a little bit more than just that. It's not just that I am to be, I exist, I am there. And and there's this Hebrew scholar, Sigmund Mawinkel, he's not not a Christian by any means. Uh, And he says, the Hebrew to be does not just mean to exist, but to be active. To express oneself in being active. Okay, so what does that mean? When we think about this name Yahweh, and God made himself known to Moses, saying, Moses... I am sent you. Another way to put this is that God is making himself known as someone who is present. I am present. Present with and for my people. And whenever God's presence is invoked, the announcement carries a certainty of God's attention, God's care, God's power. God is focused upon you. Right? One writer says, perhaps a helpful paraphrase of God's word at the burning bush would be, say to the people of Israel, I am present, has sent me to you. God is Yahweh, present with his people, yes, even in all their sufferings. I will who I will be, unfolds as its deepest level of love, mercy, and forgiveness. The idea of God being present. Right? And this is something that I think a lot of people talk about, especially in terms of relationships that we have with people. Right? Even like at dinner, you have a meal with someone at dinner. How many of you appreciate when the other person you're having a meal with is constantly looking on their phone? Right? All they're doing is looking on their phone, and then as you're talking to them, and maybe even you're opening up, you know, let's say it's a date. You're opening up your heart just a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. Right. Oh, I know what you mean. Exactly. I mean, you're physically there, but you're not present. And so when we think about what God is saying, I am Yahweh, I am has sent, has sent you. What God is now saying to Israel, I am present. I know what this is like. You would think, again, think about all the gods of, 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 uh, of, of Mesopotamia, the gods at this time. And these were gods who were fickle. I mean, when you think about gods, you think about the Greek gods, you think about uh, these uh, pagan uh, foreign gods of, of Egypt. And, and these were gods that were just doing their own thing. They didn't really care. Uh, you had to do everything for them. But one of the, again, one of the great distinctions that God is making here by saying, I am Yahweh, God is saying that I am present and I know what things are going, what is happening. I know what's happening. I, I, I understand what's happening. The I am has sent you, Moses. Tell them that. And suddenly that becomes this, this idea of, of a God who, who knows and, and feels what you're feeling and knows what you're going through, that he's sympathetic to those things. 
Right? One of the great desires I think that we really want with other people is the presence of a person. I mean, one of the great desires that we have is, is to know that someone is present there. And, and this is where uh, we could say uh, oftentimes, even though we become the most connected in the world at this juncture in, in the timeline of humanity, right? We're, we're uh, because of social media, we're so connected. We know everything that seems to be going on now. And yet there has been no greater time that people say people feel lonely, right? We just don't, even though we have Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Anything else? I, I don't know. <laughs> there, there might be a bunch of other ones, right? Um, and, and maybe some of you are like, what? I've never heard of that one. Uh, you know, there's all these social media uh, apps that we use to remain LinkedIn, uh, to remain connected. And yet we feel so lonely. And what God is now telling Moses here, he's saying, I'm present. Even though it may seem like I am not there, I am. I am with my people. I will be who I will be. I will be present. And, and this is what's so remarkable is that when we think about this, again, this phrasing of Yahweh, this phrasing of Yahweh, Yahweh is that special language, that special name that God reveals only to his people. And it's, it's very similar to that language, and I think I've, I've said this in the past, but um, it's similar to that language of saying to your significant other, that special name, right? So my wife, like if, if, I mean, I don't really have that name, but, you know, let's say I do, and, and, and let's say it's like honey, right? I think, I think we, we've all heard that, and, and um, the, the language of honey. And, and I say to my wife, honey, if another man comes to her and says, hey, honey, it's like, excuse me, right? I mean, you know, suddenly those become words. No, you can't say that. That is not a name that you can say to my wife. But her name is Sue, and so if other people call her Sue, does that bother me? No, of course not, right? Or Sue or Mrs. Sim or, or what have you, right? That's a name that, that people can call her. The name Elohim, the name El, the name El Shaddai. Right? All of these names that God has revealed, these are all names that, that people can call upon God, but the name Yahweh, that is a special name that his people and only his people can call upon God. And it's so special, this is why God says, I'm a jealous God. Because if anybody else calls you, or if you call me, we have that kind of relationship that only you are allowed to call me Yahweh. There's no one else that can call me Yahweh. The Egyptians cannot call me Yahweh. The Mesopotamians cannot call me Yahweh. There is no one else who can call me Yahweh except for you, Moses, and the, the genealogy of those who come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can call me that, but no one else can. And so when we think... When we think about that special name, that name, Yahweh, is the name that we get for Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And you can see that in Psalm 110, where David says to my Lord, he says, Lord, well, I'm kind of forgetting the, the exact phrasing of it, but you have capital L-O-R-D, and then you have capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And the, that capital L, lowercase o-r-d, is simply saying uh, kind of like, uh, sir. It's another way of just simply to say sir. But when you say Lord in all caps, that is the same term for Yahweh. It is a special name. 
It is a name sometimes you might hear other people say Jehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh. All of this is a special way to call upon God as only you are allowed to. The Lord God, Yahweh, is saying, this is a special name that you can call me. Now, why, why do I bring this up? Because as God says that I am a God who is present, I'm a God who is there, I'm a God who, who knows what you're going through. I see my people suffering. I see my people uh, th- th- that they're here in Egypt as slaves. I am going to go to them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to release them. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to do for them. I know what that's like. I feel their pain. Now, this is important because when we come to Philippians chapter 2, I want you to see something here in verses 9 through 11. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it's talking about Jesus as he goes to the cross. And so uh, it's it's a very famous part of it, uh, beginning with verse 5, where it talks about uh, Jesus uh, in becoming a man, going to the cross even to the point of of death, uh, obedience even to the point of death. And then verse 9 comes up, Therefore God has highly exalted him, And bestowed on him that name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, as we think about what is this name that God has highly exalted him with? Right? What is this name that is above every name? Now, I think initially for a lot of people, as they read that and then they hit verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, oh, yes. The name of Jesus is that name that is highly exalted. And, and we sort of like, okay, that's, that's that name that God has bestowed upon him. Not quite. Because when did God give that name? Well, we see even in Matthew 2, Jesus is given that name at his birth. So that's not the name that, that I think this passage is saying. Instead, what is that name? The name that is bestowed upon Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess what? The name Lord is given to Jesus. This name Lord, this name Yahweh. Why? Because in the name Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, Messiah, Jesus, right? That's what Christ means, the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, is Lord. And as Lord, as Yahweh, he is the one who now says that I have been sent and into this world where I feel what you feel. I know what you're going through. I understand the suffering that you're enduring. See, God is saying, do you understand the kind of God I am? I'm the kind of God who understands what you're going through, not the kind of God who is so transcendent that has no idea what's happening and just demands worship all the time. Come every week and just worship me. That is not what he's saying. Instead, he's saying, I understand that you need to be delivered. I understand that you need to be freed. I understand the anguish and the pain that you're going through. This is the kind of God that we worship. This is the kind of God that that has delivered us so that we can now come into his presence uh, full of awe and wonder. Wow. You have redeemed. You know what I've, I've been through. You know the, 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 uh, the pain and anguish that I've gone through. And ultimately, it's that pain and anguish of being bound to our sin. See, God isn't just simply saying, hey, do this, don't do that. 
no, I don't like this, right? Sitting upon his ivory tower way, way, way out in, 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 uh, out in, in outer space somewhere has no idea. No, what God is saying in that name Yahweh even. And for now, every, na- every, um, every person is saved as soon as they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To be able to confess and come to our God, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the God of the universe. Jesus is the I am. Jesus is the one who says, yes, I am present. I know what you're going through. I understand all of it. Why? Because I've gone through those very things. I've gone through all of those things. There's nothing that you've gone through. And Jesus is now saying, I am also committed. I am committed to this relationship that we have. I will not abandon you. I will never abandon you. I will be with you to the very end. And Jesus now says that I want to be associated with you so that the whole universe can know me by knowing you. He's not ashamed to be known. And and here's a little bit of proof of that. As Jesus goes into heaven, why doesn't he shed his humanity? He doesn't. He doesn't shed the humanity, nor does he say, you know what, let me erase the scars. Let me get rid of the scars. Instead, the rest of eternity, he will have those scars with his humanity so that he will forever be associated with all of you in your humanity. There will never be a time where you can understand Jesus apart from you. There will never be a time where then we can understand ourselves and understand each other apart from Jesus. Let me repeat that. There's never a time where Jesus is not going to be known and associated with you. And because of that, there's never going to be a time for us where we do not want to be associated with Jesus. He's a God of relationships, and we're in this relationship with Jesus, and we want always to be known. We, too, want always to be known as those in Jesus Christ as followers of Christ, as Christians, where we could actually say, hey, brother, hey, sister. Like, like, to have that kind of relationship with one another because of the relationship we have with Christ. That we could look inside this room and look at every single person here, look, you know, and say, wow. We have this bond. We... We worship the same God. We have this God of relationships. And now we have that relationship with one another that we can together say, this is our God. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is then, as we understand, the kind of life that we've been called to. A life where... God says, I am a God of relationships. I am a God who is present. 
And so, again, part of our entire existence is to now be present uh, in the Lord, to be present with one another in the relationship, even as uh, the prayer earlier, that we might be able to love and understand what it means to love one another, to be uh, in the kind of relationship, to be bound together in unity. That, uh, that this, this light and salt, this, this church here in Long Beach uh, is that sweet aroma of Christ to the world around us in this city, in Long Beach. I don't know, I, I think not many of you live here in Long Beach anymore. Or, or, <laughs> and yet we come together here in Long Beach to be that light and salt, to have that, that flavor of distinctiveness that we are now sent into this world so that the world would come to know Christ, would come to know that God indeed has sent Jesus into this world and that there is no salvation apart from it. Apart from Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. No other name by which we are saved. And we are proud to then be associated with that name. We want the world to know me as someone that is associated with the name Jesus, with the name Christ, with the name Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. I want the world to know that's who I'm associated with. And so for you younger ones and, and for you kind of older teenager-ish as you start to get into your mid-twenties and you start like what is life about and, and, and figuring out what sort of work to do and, and all these things and, and, and maybe getting married or, or whatnot. What we want is the world to know that I'm associated with Jesus. And so as we get older into, um, and, and we all go through different things. Because as we get older, once we start hitting 20s to 40s, and we start to enter into midlife crisis mode, and we start wondering, what was my life all about? And then we start, I want to be associated with Jesus. When we start getting to 50s and, and, and 60s and 70s, and we're thinking about uh, now into retirement, and, and, and all of these life is now, I'm looking back on my life. I still want to be associated with the name Jesus. So that our entire life, there is not a moment where we stop wanting to be associated with the name Jesus. And our prayer then is that Long Beach OPC would be that kind of a church. Right? That this congregation uh, continues to flourish as one where the name of Jesus is exalted. The name of Jesus that um, is, is just that that. I mean, I could smell like spaghetti, but, but like you, you smell the sweet aroma of, of Christ, right? And, and, and that, that, that sweetness is all around in this congregation, especially in a city like Long Beach, right? Especially in a city like Long Beach. And so rather than abandoning Long Beach and rather than saying, yeah, you know, I don't think uh, ministry works here in a city like this. No, be faithful here in Long Beach and understand that, that, uh, that missionary mindset of being sent into this, uh, into this city where you're coming together to not be afraid of the city, not to, be, uh, to abandon the city, but rather proud of the association of the name Jesus <laughs> in a city like Long Beach. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that you've given to us. We thank you that you are a God of relationships. We thank you that you are a God who, um, as the great I am, 
uh, as the one who is who he is and uh, a God who is present, a God who is not uh, ashamed to call us as your own. Uh, and so because of what Jesus has done, we are not, we are not ashamed to call you as our own. Uh, we want the world to know uh, our association with you. Because we know how proud you are. We are the apple of your eye. You look upon us with so much affection and delight. Uh, we pray, O oh God, that Long Beach OPC would continue to persevere in that manner uh, as a church that uh, exalts Christ, uh, a church that is proud to be known as, as uh, those who are associated with Jesus Christ being Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love that you have so lavishly uh, put upon your people here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.